You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 19 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm here with Neil Glover. Hello, Neil. Hello. And back from her travels, Jen Robertson. Hello. Hello. It's so good to be back. It's delightful to have you back. We obviously loved having Jill with us, um, but we and we want to say an enormous thanks to her for what she did. But it is actually really yeah. great because we missed you already this morning before we've started, before we've hit the record button. Neil and I have just said how much we missed you. So it's lovely to see you back. I don't, I don't know how to ask the question. How was it? <laughs> My parents, by the way, used to always say when, whenever they would go to camp and cook and things, they would yeah. get really frustrated because they would come back to church and people would go, how was it? How was your holiday? Yeah. <laughs> And to begin to encapsulate is really hard, isn't it? But any highlights that you want to tell yeah, us about? I think the main thing is that it, it it was a holiday in the sense that we weren't doing what we normally do, but it, it was much more than a holiday. Um, it was really it, it was to go with Andrew, who'd spent two years in Bolivia, and meet all the people that love him, and and that's the overwhelming memory of families, individuals. Who, who love Andrew and who is a huge part of their life and has been really significant in their churches and their work situations and to meet all of them and to meet children that love him and adults that love him um, and to hear him speaking Spanish to all these people and being totally part of that culture and to hear him preach at a church in Aruru, the highest city in Bolivia, um, altitude perspective. And um, how do you sum all that up? And I think so that pe- people is what ma- matters. And you know, some people have said to me, oh, did you see this in Bolivia? Did you see that? And, and we did see some things in Bolivia, obviously, but, but we were living with the people and getting to know the people. And that's a mm-hmm. huge privilege mm-hmm. that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure stories will emerge. They will. Over the weeks and months <laughs> to come. Um, so it's good to have you back, though. That's great. Before we get to the business in hand today, just a quick reminder that Stories of Light and Life, so that's the series of short films with testimonies from people from across Scotland and monologues from the Gospel of John, they're now available to watch, to share, to download from www.scottish.bible forward slash light and life forward slash stories. So... Actually, we actually have a bit of correspondence from somebody who has discovered them, and that's Ooh. listener Megan B. Megan emailed us, and I'm going to read, if you don't mind, I'm going to read quite a chunk of Megan's email because it's um, it's quite interesting. She said, I've been listening to the podcast since it was recommended. Uh, I was recommended the Joseph series earlier in the summer through my church in Inverness. That oh, Inverness. church connection in Inverness, <laughs> doing a great job of recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> People keep emailing in. Also, you're just very good at, at communicating with us, so we like that. Um, Megan says, I loved listening to that and then went uh, back to start the Light and Life series, which I'm hugely enjoying, but I'm not following in real time. Sorry about that. So, Megan, you'll probably hear this. In how is it, how is it in 2023? Um, <laughs> yes, how's it going? How's it working out for you? Um, she says, I find it so refreshing to hear you discuss the questions I sometimes would feel embarrassed to ask. And the discussions have really renewed an interest to dig deeper into God's word, as well as being fun and funny and great company at the washing basket. I enjoy <laughs> that detail. It's good. Anyway, says Megan, I probably wouldn't have taken the time to email as I've got three very small children, but I opened my Facebook to see your new promotion of the Light and Life video and was so wonderfully surprised to see it features my beautiful home village of Gerloch, where I grew up, and some wonderful folk from my home church there. I just got so excited and reminded, and was reminded that God is at work in my life behind the scenes. I felt like that wee trailer was sent just for me as an encouragement and that that 
and that is without and that is without even hearing the stories yet she says <laughs> keep up the great work it's been oh, a great blessing you. so thank you megan for letting us know that's great thank you brilliant to hear and uh, if you want to find those videos then just go to light and life uh, forward slash stories on the scottish.bible site a uh, lovely reminder there isn't it of how god weaves threads mm. of our lives together uh, i also was actually speaking to a friend yesterday neil i'm going to just say this publicly so you hear it um in the course of the conversation she was commenting that she very much enjoys your tangents so she she said because i said i made i may have made some comment about you know you enjoy using a lot of words and she she said ah but she said it's always interesting i always really like when it goes off on the tangent because it's thought-provoking so there you go thank you that's an encouragement from another listener just in case you were feeling a bit you know Put down because sometimes people compliment the rest of us and not you. <laughs> what worries me about the worst thing is this is me trying to keep my word count down. I know. Oh, bless you. You need your no, own podcast, which is you speaking. <laughs> now, today we're talking about John chapter 18. That's on pages 53 and 54 of the Light and Life Gospel. And it is a chapter in which light and life is threatened by fearful lies, brutal power play, and pragmatic cynicism as darkness and death encroach. Before that though, it's time for Glover's Off. Glover's Off this week is about escapology, which I suppose I first made a connection with Faith when I saw an escapologist called Steve Legg, who uh, he's still around, I think he has a magazine called Sorted, but he used to do uh, escapology. I once saw him do it at Summerfest in Camaslang Main Street. Apparently he doesn't do it anymore because he got injured. But uh, yeah, quite sore. Um, anyway, yeah, Escapology and and faith. I want to come at it through a book that Jen recommended to me. Actually, Jen gave it to me when I was ill in hospital a number of years ago, and it's called The 21 Escapes of Alistair Cram. And I didn't read this for a long, long time, partly because I thought, oh, it's bound to get a wee bit monotonous, you know, the kind of eighth time we went under the wire, the ninth time we jumped from a train, the tenth time we disguised ourselves as a German guard, the eleventh time we built a tunnel. It just kind of felt, oh, it's going to get a bit monotonous. Also, if there were 21 escapes, then at least there were 20 recaptures, which I don't want to, I don't want to live that disappointment 20 times over. But I absolutely loved it. I loved this guy, Alistair Cram, and his. he was captured in the Second World War. He was held in Italian and then German prisoner war camps. But he had this restless desire constantly to escape. And he would talk about you'd be in a camp of a thousand prisoners and 950 of them would just be going, listen, let's just get this over with. Let's just wait. 50 of them would be like, we need to escape. We need to go somewhere else. And I loved that restless desire. Eventually they were put in a, a prison called Gavi in Italy, which was full of all the other escapers. And it was meant to be ultra highest security, but they loved it because they were in a group of people who were all desperate to escape. And they, they, they encouraged each other all the time. I'm wondering if that's a metaphor for church. I don't know. Anyway, the link is, I recently read a book call about salvation and it was saying that the dominant understanding of one of the dominant understandings of the word salvation in the bible is this word escape and sometimes we give it a bad press we think escape is about trying to run away from reality but true escape in the christian sense is that hunger and desire to go to a place that is better than now and to recognize the things that hold us in captured in prison 
In any escape story, there are at least five characters. There's always the prisoner who's desperate to escape, the co-prisoners who keep them company, the promised land and the people who await you. That's character number three. The fourth character is the jailer. And the fifth character is the angel who helps you escape. And I wonder, which one are you? The inmate? The co-prisoner? The people who wait for the other person to be set free? The jailer? Or the angel? That's Glover's off this week. Interesting. Interesting. And that book is called The 21 Escapes of Alistair Cram. Yeah, 21 Escapes of Alistair Cram. I got slightly sidelined onto thinking there's a bit of nominative determinism in somebody who's called Cram. <laughs> in a prison. Yeah, yeah. I was also thinking about Steve Legg in that regard as well, but that's, that's a, yes. That, oh, the es- escapologist. Very interesting. Very good. Very interesting. I like your metaphor about church, so I want to go away and think yeah. about that as well. The escape committee. Yeah, fascinating. Brilliant. Good. Well, we're on chapter 18. As I say, that's on pages 34. No, it's not. It's on pages 53 and 54 of Light and Life. And we've moved from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane to a place where Jesus and his disciples often met. That was something that really jumped out at me when I was reading today. I'd never noticed that before, that this was obviously a regular place of retreat and encounter. I guess of peace we like to picture in a garden. You know, you kind of feel that peace of of being in a in a beautiful place in the evening and that piece is of course is about to be shattered with what happens next jen i had a question for you oh sorry yep. well just an interesting detail about gardens <laughs> firstly you called it the garden of gethsemane yes it's not called gethsemane and john oh, it's right. only called gethsemane in the other places but john's the only one who calls it a garden so if it wasn't oh, for john telling us the story and so, there's a long history of interpretation of comparing it to the Garden of Eden. Yes. And Adam being tempted and, and Jesus being tempted with someone Yes. Else. I was going to get on to that, but thanks oh, for preempting. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to start again then? <laughs> I was, well, I was going to start actually by asking Jen about the familiarity of the setting for the disciples and for Jesus. Do you think that makes the betrayal all the more intense? Well, Jesus is just so in control of the situation, though. There's no sense that he's like accidentally ended up in the garden. No, mm-hmm. he, he's chosen to go. It feels like he's chosen to go there, and, he, and he's prayed that prayer in chapter seventeen. And then this is, this is a decision to go to the place where he feels at home. So yet, yes, it makes the betrayal more painful, but he he knows exactly what he's doing, and he wants for the worst moment in his life, he wants to be where he's home. And I just wonder if that's significant. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because he knew fine well going there that Judas would find them. Mm-hmm. You know, the natural thing, what would we what would I do? I'd be like, oh, we better go to this really obscure place yes. or hide in the cellar or build a fallout shelter or something. And you'd be like doing everything to hide. And but Jesus isn't hiding, he's just being normal and being at home. And then when they arrive in the garden, the ones who will arrest him. It's Jesus is just like, you know, well, what do you want? Here I am. And we'll maybe talk that I am. And there's a significance in his authority and his power and his control. But is there something about being at home? In the worst of times, where do we want to be? We want to be home. Yes. With in the places and the people that we know and we're secure. And and in the sense of, of Jesus as God, being at home is the garden. I'm making the link with Eden. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where does Jesus choose to be? He chooses to be in the place where God walks in the cool of the evening mm-hmm. with yeah. the man and the woman. Yeah. Yeah, and that sense of home, I think, is also grounded. It's interesting. 
here in John's telling, we don't get Jesus praying in the garden, but we do get that in the other Gospels, that sense of home. But I think the reason that John maybe doesn't tell that bit of the story is because John 17, the great prayer of Jesus being with the Father, kind of represents the same sort of thing of, of Jesus being grounded within God as he readies himself for what's about to happen. Uh, or it literally in the Greek it says what's coming. Jesus yes. knew what was coming. Everything and and was maybe coming. I've misled with my introduction there because actually I'm realising as I'm saying this, I'm assuming there's a move that happens from the upper room to the garden. Yeah, no, that's right. Although it does say yeah. that, doesn't it? Jesus yeah, left yeah, with himself across the Kidron Valley. Yeah, no, he went out. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh, yeah. to the garden. Yeah. And so, that yeah, it's interesting is that the other Gospels reveal that the tr- the the turmoil that Jesus is going through in the garden. We don't get that in John. It's like it's like there's no turmoil. It's like, knowing all that was going. Yeah, it's a very yeah. different. I've garden. never thought about that before. But, you know, and, I, and I, until you say it, I've not thought about it. But it's interesting because because John, I guess, is one of the ones who's asleep. You know, do you know that that thing where they they won't stay, they can't stay awake to wait with them. Yeah, yeah. So does he brush over that? It's it's very. I used the phrase a minute ago. It's a very different garden. It's not. It's the same garden. Uh, but it's a very different perspective on on what's happening. Jesus seems to be so much more, or is presented, or, or we see a side of Jesus where he is so much more in control. No more, more than that moment where he says, ego I me, which in Greek means I am, and everybody suddenly falls to the ground. Jesus is seen as being at Jesus's most godlike. He says, ego I me, which means I am, which is the name for God. And the minute he says that, Everybody falls down. We don't get the picture of Jesus falling on his knees, sweating drops of blood as we do in some of the other Gospels. This is Jesus fully as God. And the contrast is heightened even more, I think, because of those who enter the garden. It's the the chief priests, the police, the word for detachment of soldiers. One implies it's Roman soldiers. And secondly, a huge number. In Mm -hmm. fact, literally, it means 600 soldiers, although most people think it it wasn't as much as that. Plus, the Pharisees are in the act. So they're all crowding into this, this garden, this huge number. And yet Jesus still stands up, announces himself as God, and they all fall to the ground. This is a picture of God who, though about to be crucified, is still utterly sovereign and can be filled with God's power when in, and show that in ways that God needs it to happen. I wonder too, I mean, we, we've actually, we've talked about this, that verse in particular um, in our Easter podcast that we released this year. So, you know, if people haven't heard those and want to go back and listen to those, um, we delved into that a little bit. Um, and just that whole idea of what's happening, why do they fall over? We we talked about there and relating that back to um, the burning bush and I am. And it's making me it's making me reflect on the fact that we talk about there being seven I am statements, but maybe there are eight. It's the culmination of all it's, those it's I am. It's bringing them all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Strictly speaking, there are seven I am metaphors. So I am the vine and so on. But there are a number of points where he goes ego me just by itself. And I agree with you. This is the culmination. Yes. This one. Yes, because yeah. actually, we, that's right. Because we've talked about that before as well. But yeah. him using I am as a yeah, yeah, and and there is this kind of there's a holiness to this moment. And so and that to me is interesting because you've got you've got this this mash of holiness and brutality in in this place that is a, a usual place for them to be. Um, and like you said, Jen, anguish that we we don't read about in this chapter, but. We know from the other accounts. Yeah, there. I mean, you said Fiona there that um, we while back that you know was John asleep. Is this his memory of the garden? Because 
although Jesus called the three to come with him, they fell asleep. Everybody fell asleep. So it's John's memory going to the garden, being asleep, and then being awoken by this momentous noise because there's and light and violence, and then it's Jesus. At the message, you know, that's an interesting perspective of why he's written it this way because that's his major memory. He, he's forgotten the, the being asleep and not forgotten, but he was asleep. And that that is quite beautiful, isn't it? To think, or but also difficult that he woke up and there was Jesus being fully Jesus. And so he's missed he's missed the what Jesus went through, but someone must have seen it because they recorded it. I don't, which gospel does record the, the struggle? Well, it makes oh, me wonder the if it's John three. Mark. All three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who has yes. witnessed that? Well, there's that intriguing detail in Mark's gospel of the youth who runs away naked. And, and there's a lot of speculation that that was um, Mark, the writer. Of the is that, sorry, I've, I've said John Mark. Is that John Mark? Is that the same person? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is the same yeah. person. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Was he was he alert to something that was going on? Yeah. And mm-hmm. is, there, is there something about John's purpose in writing as well, this thing about glory? that his, his purpose has always been to show the glory of Jesus. And so this is another, not that he's diminishing Jesus' struggle, but that the glory is revealed in the way he reacts to the yeah. situation. I, I think, I think it, particularly for John, it's the glory is revealed in the hour, that this hour, to, which encapsulates all that's happening at this moment, that reveals his glory. And, and, and as you say, that that's the moment he says, I am. And... You can't help, I can't help but think of the burning bush, that, that huge sense of the presence of God and, and people just fall down. They can't, they can't cope. And it's also subtly, I think, saying, you know, if Jesus wanted to, to evade arrest, as he has done already several times in John's gospel, he could at this point as well, but he's, he's choosing not to. Yes, he could slip through the crowd, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm quite interested in the the kind of it's not low level violence, but the, the the rumbling brutality, the thread of brutality that that, that kind of runs through this chapter. I, I don't want to over interpret, but I'm, I'm quite struck by the thing in, in verse three. But it, it says that they come carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons mm. because mm. because throughout John we've been thinking about light a lot. They come with torches, and I know that's practical. So you know it's the night time, and they want to be able to find them. Torches, but I'm interested that that's included as well. They've they've got torches, they've got lanterns, so they're carrying symbols of light, but they're also carrying weapons. And the other person who's carrying is Peter. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting, isn't it? So yeah. he pulls out this sword. Why did he have a sword? Yeah, we we just kind of let it go, don't mm-hmm. we? And I, I think one of the things it's interesting. Jane, when you speak about Bolivia, you you talk about that sense of of reliance. We we forget what it is to live in a, a country where where life is overtly fragile, and you know the the I'm not saying Bolivia is like this, but um, it's fragile. It, I was about to talk about government violence. I don't know if that's. Oh, I can tell you a story. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, that this sense of fragility. This is you know Jesus. It's going to a place where he might be followed, where he might be arrested. And and as you say, that violence, I remember once there was a, a gang fight in one of the communities near me. And people talked about that scene that all the gangs showed up and they all had weapons. They had baseball bats, which is very similar to a club. They had a knives and a, someone was killed in this fight, actually. And they said, yes, someone even brought a sword. That's how bad it was. And yet here we are, St. Peter, disciple of Jesus, drew his sword you know we, we can't get 
we can get too desensitized to just as you say the casual violence well, well when you say we i think as middle class people we can yeah, get desensitized yeah. yeah because the reality i mean i found a knife in my head not that long ago because the reality mm. of people who live not a million miles away from where i live is that that okay it's not state level yeah but the reality is you carry because you might need and, it is there not a sense as well that peter like all of us, and maybe not in such a dramatic, violent way, we, we all try to, or I know I certainly do, I try and sort things out yeah. by the resources I have. And so here's Jesus standing saying, I am he, who are you looking for? Here I am. <laughs> but Peter, 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 <laughs> that's not enough for Peter. He has, he has to have his own way of sorting it out. And I do that all the time. You know, we need we need to use the resources and the abilities and the stuff that God's given us to sort out situations. We can't just sit and say, right, well, God, show me what to do and I'm not going to do anything, obviously. But is is there something about that in this story as well? And I'm trying plan to... Plan B. It's kind of having a plan B, isn't it? In yeah, case it doesn't always. Work mm-hmm. and, and, and Bolivia, you know, Bolivia has lots of richness that we don't have. So I'm not, I'm not sitting criticising one country from the, the place of another. But I think one of the things I've come back with is that it, it's so easy in the UK to feel safe and secure because everything feels quite safe and secure, although our government might be in turmoil and we have problems and not without problems. But in Bolivia, things bubble under the surface. You know, there's a feeling of the infrastructure isn't really secure most of the time. We, we ended up um, behind a blockade at one point trying to get into Santa Cruz. Um, no, it, it was a peaceful blockade, but you know you don't you don't go out your door in Scotland and can't get into Glasgow city centre from my door because a bunch of people decided to barricade all the main roads into the city. Now that's a reflection of people being troubled with what they've got and what they don't have, and actually they, they were blockading because their education for their children is poor. But then sometimes the blockades happen because our government sponsored blockades, and you know we had to readjust our day, and we found some really amazing people who took us in for the night. Now, from my perspective, that's like, oh, somebody said to me the other day, oh, did, did you have any stuff with you? And I was like, no, no, I didn't really. But I had a safe place to stay. It was okay. And so coming back from a country that, you know, you're just not sure what might happen. And, and I think it, it, may, it makes you rely on God more. I mean, that sounds really blasé. And I, I don't think we should throw ourselves into situations where, well, I'm really unsafe, so, so I can, I'm making myself unsafe so I can rely on God. But there, there must be something we're being taught here. But Jenna, I also wonder, I mean, I completely hear what you're saying, but I I also wonder, because we are stable here, but we we are living in times where it feels less stable. And and I I find it quite sobering to to see how quickly things begin to unravel. unravel Yes. When people are are faced with economic um, anxiety, health anxiety, these things bring a level of looking for a plan B. Yeah, do you know? I yeah. wonder. I wonder if we're going to face that. What I'm saying is, I wonder if this there's something kind of prophetic in some of this. Is let's just be alert to we we can't take for granted some of the securities and safeties that we have assumed in our lifetime. Yeah, or or just these are circumstances that we've watched people go in. Jen, when you were talking about um, the barricades in the blockades in Bolivia, it reminded me of some of the times I was in Belfast when Drum Cree rioting was happening. Mm-hmm. And it, I remember all the barricades going up then and the sense of fear yes. that I just had and the whole atmosphere felt scary. Now that is not terribly far away 
to how I've sometimes felt when, for example, I've been around a family who's who have a child who's very unwell, and and it's not they're not sure whether that child's going to live or not. That kind of atmosphere feels the same, and yet that same need to rely on God, and as you said earlier, Jane, it's it's not some kind of glib cliche. It's it's that God's all I've got here. And and that's what Jesus seems to be exemplifying in, in that moment when he says, Egoimi, I am. God is the one who is here. And and yeah. Jesus becomes our teacher in this moment. Yeah, there was various times in Bolivia. I'm not I mean, it wasn't a traumatic experience, don't get me wrong. It was like some awful experience. But there was times where I was fearful. Um not not more because of altitude. Okay, that's another story. You know, it, it's difficult living at altitude. And other, other things that happened. And, and just being in an unknown place, um, although we had Andrew with us who made it not unknown. Um, but God said to me, I, I really felt what Jesus, God, was saying to me, the Holy Spirit was putting in my, in, into, into my heart, my life, was that God's got this. And and this this situation in Gethsemane is is the worst of situations. This is so awful in so many ways. But Jesus has got Jesus has got it. And 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 you, and to say that to someone who's going through a really awful time, don't worry, God's got it. That as you say, Neil, that can just sound glib and unhelpful. But it is the reality we live with. That God does yeah. have that, whatever that means. And whatever the outcome might be, God's got it. That that's the reality of what it means eh, to follow Jesus through this world that's full of difficulty and joy and the irony of the one who doesn't feel that god's got it is is peter and yet he is the one who's being most outwardly religious he's the one who's trying to protect jesus i mean think of the irony of that the one who doesn't understand the purpose of jesus is on the outside the one who's trying to protect him and i think you know even why does why does peter go to follow there's there's something we, we've alluded to it before this desire to fix the situation mm-hmm. is an example not of faithfulness but faithlessness and and the contrast of peter's eventually that gets found out and under pressure he he doesn't say ego i mean which means i am he says uk i mean which means i am not i am not the one and the the contrast i think goes there but even there we still see god in control totally sovereign because at the moment he says it for the third time which is his moment of greatest disaster is also the understated miracle of the cockerel crowing you know at that very same second god is able to enter the mind of a hen and get it to crow and so god is still holding this situation even in peter's lowest moment and he's there peter sorry he is there he's he's not run off He's he's made a he's made a mistake, but he's there, yeah. and uh, we need to say that more. I think that he stuck with it, even though he messed it up. Yeah, yeah, but I, I yes, but I think sometimes we paint Peter in a very broad brushstroke, and you know we have him as this blustering, fixing it kind of guy. But but what is interesting to me in this chapter is the is the fear. Mm. that's there in him isn't it and I think it, 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 like like oftentimes with Peter it's <laughs> it's a sort of encouragement that actually you know there there are moments when all of us feel that that fear of I need to fix the issue or the fear of I need to I'm going to deny because I, I, I it would be it would be too self-exposing to to say that I'm with this guy yeah 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 but God it's... is with him in that yeah and, yeah, and the charcoal and the, fire, I think, is significant mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. as well. So, so it's like, yes, the cockerel, Neil, exactly what you just said, but also the setting up of that, 
yeah. the, the, the smell even of a fire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that in a few chapters time is going to be relevant again yeah yeah yes god's going to give them the chance so, so at the very deep level what what this is about in some ways is about identity mm-hmm. so jesus is prepared to own fully his identity ego i mean i am Peter is too scared to own up to his identity. Uk I me, I am not, even though that's a lie. And and yet, as you just said, there will be a moment to come when he'll get to own that identity yeah. back again. It, it's it's the that thing, isn't it? That it all will end well in the end. And if it hasn't ended well, it's not the end. Peter will have another chance. And God's almost as you just said, prefiguring that by allowing the first failure to happen around a fire in order that the the second kind of restoration will happen in a similar place. Which actually brings us back to where you started, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) That that often happens. It's the sovereignty of God, isn't it? That, that, you know, Jesus is in control when he is least in control here. He's nonetheless still in control. And and interestingly, this other wee bit when he's shown in control in the other Gospels is when he heals the the guy's ear. Mm. Yeah. When Peter Peter cuts it off, and that's not mentioned. As I like, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's not mentioned. We Malky's ear, yeah. But there's another Jesus. Jesus is healing, Uh while Peter's destroying. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, Can I come back to a phrase you just used, the sovereignty of God? Because that often I find that phrase quite a cold. abstract phrase you know the sovereignty of god it it makes god sometimes seem like a chess player he's just moving things around and yet if the sovereignty of god is if we let this story tell us what sovereignty means it means in the mess and in the desolation of human failure as 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 has been talked about before it's the holding on to god in all that that's what that phrase means and for me that's a much richer window into what sovereignty means Mm -hmm. than than that phrase can sometimes mean which is interesting because later on in the chapter there's the discussion with Pilate about what a king is and what a kingdom is yeah what does sovereignty actually mean in this in this context my kingdom is not anything like what you and and it's so personal what that means that God's got it you know in the nights when you wake up and you're terrified or you get news that changes your life forever or you have to deal with a situation that you've got no idea how you're going to manage it or or an endless list of the difficult things we have to do, go through that God God is in it and with us and for us. I, I, I never really thought about that being the message of Gethsemane, but that's what's in my mind at the moment about it. So can we then move it on? beyond the garden so the arrest mm. happens and and jesus is is taken away there is again i'm, I'm going back to this thread of violence I, I have a question about whether a non-violent response provokes greater brutality in people yeah mm. that that was one of the things that gandhi used to say about non-violence mm-hmm. it, it, his teaching was that it, it would cause the inner violence of the oppressor to become outwardly visible yeah and once it was made outwardly visible, then it would be seen to be all the more appalling and it would acquire a moral force to it. So uh, that's why he used the phrase Satya Agraha to talk about the power of, well, in his case, the power of truth. And and then Martin Luther King took the same thing. So when they went 
a, I think it was the the bridge in Selma, wasn't it? Was Selma the name of the place where they went? And they they almost wanted the police to attack them mm-hmm. because that would make the violence of the system more visible. And that and that's what we see here. So in a sense, as as you've talked about, this kind of casual, understated violence becomes more and more visible as the story goes on. In a sense, because the the purity of Jesus causes it to be seen in contrast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Caiaphas and Annas. Mm. The related. Yeah. The what? What do we make of them? They 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 have the kind of the grip on the religion religious authority, don't they? Yeah, and they're this kind of dynasty, aren't they? Where where what matters is keeping the thing going. And the irony, of course, is that even there, it's being used the right word to 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 use the even when Caiaphas says this great statement, um, we've got to keep the institution going and we've got to cut off one guy for the sake of everybody. He doesn't understand the resonance of what that means. And it's so important for John because he keeps talking about it. But these two familial defenders of the institution become the ones who attempt to crush Jesus. And I, I, I see that in lots of ways. I see it. Um, we've all been in churches where certain families are desperate to preserve the institution. And it, and you, and this story, we do well see sometimes, well, actually, they're pushing Jesus out in order to do it. But it, it goes to cities. The, the, the social policy writer, Carol Craig, writes about the dominant families of the tobacco lords who put their grip onto the city of Glasgow and created this culture of you got ahead no matter who you enslaved or put down or put into terrible housing to get there. And that she would argue that the spirituality of that has has gone down generation after generation to the effect that Glasgow has so much worse outcomes when it comes to mental ill health, for example, or, or violence in the home um, compared to other similar cities such as Manchester, Liverpool and Newcastle. So there is something about the spirituality of the dominant family who will make any allegiance necessary to kind of keep what they say to keep the country going, but what they really mean is to keep us going. Mm, mm-hmm keep the structure in place and that comes out very prevalently doesn't it, in, in verse 28 so that that's the verse which says that you know they wanted this dealt with quickly because they don't want to be ceremonially unclean for the passover what a massive exercise in missing the point it's such a mess isn't it oh it, you know they just they know all the answers because as jesus says to them you know you could just go and talk to all the people that have been listening to me all these yes years and, yes. and we've got the record in John's Gospel of all the conversations that were had. So they know all the answers already. And he so doesn't tu- rehearse it. I think that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. He doesn't say, well, right. I don't know. Yeah. So they've turned it into this circus, haven't they? Like, get him in the dark, get him into the, the courtyards, turn it into this tr- pretend trial. And then, and then they're obsessed with some kind of religiosity of being close to God while wanting to kill someone. And then they're using the Roman authorities who they don't like Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Mm -hmm. get their purposes done no we Mm -hmm. don't have the power to execute so you need to do it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just it's just so they've just come so they're just so far from who they were meant to be and what Mm -hmm. they were meant to be doing yeah and yet they think they're they're absolutely doing the thing that they're meant to do It, it really makes me question you know as someone who's involved in church leadership when have i done that mm. yeah mm-hmm. i know it yeah. feels as though this is something we keep coming back to in this gospel yeah. we, we keep having this conversation not in a oh we're being a bit repetitive but it, it, it's something that keeps coming up 
it's such power, a challenge. Isn't it? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. such a challenge, isn't it? And and the only thing that makes a difference is a constant reminder, or, or drawing closer again to Jesus. Yeah. We can't we can't make ourselves do the right thing. We, I'm I'm doing a t- acknowledged an intergenerational talk on Sunday in my home church on Revelation chapter three, um, the church in Laodicea, um, where Jesus talks about want to spit people out of his mouth because they're lukewarm. But that's not I'm focusing on that a wee bit. But there's the bit about um, Jesus then says you need you need I can give you riches. I can dress you in white clothes and I can heal your eyes. And it's it's only Jesus that can change us to know his riches, to know his forgiveness and to see the world the way he wants us to see it. And then I I was trying to work out what to sing afterwards and I found found a song which is all about just keep thinking about Jesus. Well, again, it sounds a bit twee, but you know, it's the only thing. If we don't have the Jesus perspective, we're going to get it wrong in church. Mm -hmm. Is there something there about constantly, constantly as well, making sure we, we assume the part of the of the servant you know i can't imagine caiaphas or annas having washed their servant's feet they just never would have done that but but almost jesus made i don't know if he made himself do it but he does it because he's constantly wanting to do that thing i've been so conscious of a something both of you said a before you went to bolivia jen about so much of church life is lifting chairs <laughs> and so i have been intentionally well, it's true in bolivia also but yeah. you know the, but you know they had plastic garden chairs, and it made it so much easier. Here's my here's my question to the world: Has anybody ever counted how many plastic garden chairs exist in the world? Because they are in every continent. Yeah, yeah, they exist lot of them in Bolivian churches. Uh huh. Anyway, so that's an aside. Sorry. You're right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the, the point. Yeah, it's just assuming. You know, because I'm I'm asking the question: How do I make sure I am more like Jesus in this story and less like Caiaphas? And one of the answers has to be, I need to lift more chairs. Mm-hmm. But probably not tell people. That's really about helpful it. because I was having a similar thought in my head of, you know, how do you hold yourself accountable? Do you find other people who question you about your motives? Do you ask yourself a kind of examine? And these things are all helpful. But I think you're right, Neil. I think I think maybe there's something about a, an active choice to practically do the things that are the stinky jobs. Yeah, and put other people first. Uh-huh. And and not in a oh you know, find a spiritual practice that makes me feel as yeah. though I'm lifting a chair. Actually go and lift a chair. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes we can dress things up in spirituality. Actually move the blooming chairs. <laughs> I don't want to sound accusatory, but there there is probably someone I have encountered in church life who I don't think either of you know, but this sounds terrible, but this is where my mind goes. Reminds me of Caiaphas more than anybody else in the way that they behave. And recently they got up in a room and made a big speech about the need for humility. Mm-hmm. And, and people listening to it were like, what? <laughs> but but when that person was making that speech, I am 100% sure that they believed every single yeah. every single word of it. So yeah. how do you stop yourself becoming yeah. Caiaphas? Yeah. Which isn't just about your own personal sin. It's about the fact that you you participate in mm-hmm. pushing Jesus out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a yeah. mo- we had a moment in Bolivia when um, I mean, like all the families one who we met who knew Andrew one, wanted to know more about Andrew from our perspective, and one of them said, "I, I think it was the pastor's wife, Noami." So it's like Naomi, but you swap around the the vowels. Noami said to me, "Has Andrew always seen what's needed done and done it?" Mm. I've what an accolade, and I know Andrew yes. would say he will be listening, and I know he would say I'm not, I'm not perfect anyway. But that is, do we see what he's done and do we do it? Uh huh, uh huh. And within our 
abil- within our ability and our yes. opportunity. Yes. But what? Yes. Yeah. What? I mean, I'm just thinking, Jane, as a mum, if if somebody had told you, you know, Andrew's won the MBE or I don't know. Um, or Fiona. Fiona <laughs> has got a PhD. Could you have been any prouder than that moment when someone came up to you exactly. and said, does your yeah. son always know what needs to be done? Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. I, I was sitting in the church when Andrew was preaching in Spanish uh, to the whole congregation in Aurora. I was just blown away. You know, this is just a wee boy from Rutherglen, you know? Yeah. We're all just a wee person from somewhere. We are. We? That's it. Except uh, some of go- us put layers on to pretend we're not. Yeah. And um, there's God using them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and not in a. He's been helicoptered into that place and he's doing the, the stuff from the person from the UK. He was part mm-hmm. of that church family, mm-hmm. totally, yeah, yeah. In, mm-hmm. in the way that everybody else was. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it extra special. Because yeah. we did, this is a bit of an aside, uh, but we did meet, I met a, we met a couple from another part of the world in Bolivia who'd worked for 10 years um, planting churches. And I was horrified because they didn't speak Spanish. Mm. I thought, how, oh. how, how can you have been here for 10 years yeah. and, and say you've planted these churches and you don't speak the language yeah. or one of the languages. Yeah. <laughs> and then they spoke to us and they talked for about six minutes and didn't ask us anything about ourselves at all. <laughs> and mm. off they went. I wouldn't say where they were from. I'm sure no. people could make assumptions. But that that's the, that's a bit Caiaphas-like, and it? It's yeah. like, um, yeah. I've got it and I'm here to give it to you rather than yeah. being with each other. Yeah. And I'm from the tribe which has the answers. Mm. I'm from yes. the family who got it. Yes. Yes. I have a question about the disciple who's with Peter. Mm. So it says that Peter can't go in because he can't go in. But the other (laughs) disciple, (laughs) the other disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus to the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. That's in verse 15. Is that John, do we think? The speculation that it is. How how does he know the high priest? And it's yeah. interesting, doesn't it? Because it uh-huh. means he's part of that in-group. He's part but he's of that not in-group. behaving the uh-huh. way the rest of the in-group are. Yeah. So there's hope. So is he a sort of secret <laughs> Nicodemus-like figure? A secret um, mm. Joseph of Arimathea? You, you know, yeah, because maybe we're, these guys. maybe we're making an assumption that when it says other John. disciple, we mean yeah. one of the 12. Yes. yes. It could, it could have been, have been yes, Nicodemus. Been. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be neat, I like that. wouldn't it? Somebody, <laughs> somebody knows of what's going on, which is also making me think about you know, on the positive side of being around the religious authorities, it's somebody who's who who's a, a an interest in spirituality and widening their knowledge or deepening their knowledge of of religious matters, isn't it? Yeah. Intriguing. So there's Intriguing. hope. There there's other hope. wee connections, isn't there? So there's the servant girl. Mm-hmm. Wasn't say servant girl. One of the high priest servants. Sorry. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Me, Malky's right, cousin. Yeah. That's right, all these wee connections. <laughs> You've read a drama sketch about this, haven't you? <laughs> no, but I feel I should. <laughs> it's the whole knife carrying thing. I just quite like, find it quite um, You're going to merge into Ice Cream Wars, Terry. No, well, I have been watching that documentary. I think that's also influencing me. You could set it in Garthamlock, mm. this. And, and did Peter leave his sword behind? Or has mm. he still got it with him? Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. What do I need to leave behind? Yes, good questions. Yes, to be wholehearted. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Caiaphas, Annas, the kind of religious authorities, and the, and then Jesus is sent to Pilate. Mm. So 
um, Pontius Pilate, Roman governor. Some rumour that he was maybe born in Scotland. Is that right? Oh, it's, that's completely made up. <laughs> uh, so it's it's Fortingal is the rumour. Uh-huh. But the people know the person who invented it in the oh, really? 1890s. It was a guy who was an inveterate liar. Yeah, yeah. So there's no there's no Scottish connection. He wasn't in a... It, and there may be completely fabricated. Yeah, it was invented by a 19th century gambler. Brilliant. I mean, not brilliant, yeah. but you know. The reason the reason I know it's just because Fortingal's down the road. Well, that's good. I'm, no, well I'm glad known. you were able to, to kind of yeah. clarify that for us, because yeah. I did read that somewhere and thought, goodness me. Um, yeah. So, but he he's he's basically got a posting, hasn't he? In yeah. Uh, yeah. Palestine, out to reach of the empire, he's confronted with this. Uh, my take on Pilate is he expediency is important to him and mm-hmm. pragmatism and keeping the peace and all the rest of it and and i guess that's what stops him really engaging or or does it stop him engaging yeah i think i think there's a close there's a curiosity to him isn't it mm-hmm. the 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 accounts of Pilate, which come from other sources mainly the jewish historian josephus and also philo who was a jew paint him as being really brutal mm-hmm. he's a, he's a terrible man but here he's slightly more sympathetic. And I wonder if part of that is because even in the most brutal of people, there is a desire to escape from what they've become through through what they felt they needed to become to ascend yeah. to the office they've got. Yeah. But there's also a still an element, isn't it? You know, he, he just casually has Jesus scourged. Yeah. yeah. You know, which is awful. Yeah. Just, just horrendous ordeal. And there also seems to be an element of calling Jesus the King of the Jews, which maybe subconsciously he's recognizing Jesus' authority, but there's also something about rubbing the nose in it Mockery. of the mm-hmm. of the authorities. And finally, there's a speculation that one of the reasons he wants to keep Barabbas uh, under captivity is he perceives Barabbas as being a bit of a threat uh, because he's a violent criminal and he mm. kind of wants to keep him in prison, whereas Jesus isn't really much of a threat. And so if he releases him, it's not going to cause him too much bother. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, yes. And, and and you wonder what his relationship with Caiaphas and Annas, obviously, and again, that's from reading around, isn't it? The Caiaphas and Annas, there's obviously a their desire to keep, although they, they, although they detest the Romans, there's the desire to stay on side. And then, and then the, it's revealed, isn't it, that they become friends with him from that time. Hey, that's Herod who becomes friends. That's Herod, him. sorry, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. but still yeah. the same dynamics it's, going yes, on. Is that it's that people are playing the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you allow me to be powerful, I'll allow you to be powerful. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of a mutual convenience, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? And yeah. Jesus, in this discussion with Pilate, he doesn't, he doesn't, in a sense, waste time, not waste time, but he doesn't spend energy and time trying to convert Pilate or convince no. him of an argument or any of that. He, he remains... Pretty enigmatic, actually, doesn't he, in the face of yeah. of this yeah, temptation? He, re- he refuses to be squeezed by mm-hmm. Pilate's agenda, doesn't mm-hmm. he? He uses the word kingdom and he simply says, "My kingdom is not of this world." And he, if it, you know, it's it's because of that. It's that sovereignty thing again, isn't it? That he, you can't have your own power have held on to me. It was only through the power that's given. Yeah. It's just Jesus has this utmost conviction that God holds him even though all the evidence flying around says completely the opposite. Yeah. And he, he's yeah. more, he seems more willing to speak to Pilate, though, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to answer mm-hmm. his questions than he was with Annas and yeah. Caiaphas. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, and even in the midst of all this, he still sees Pilate as a person who he can, you know, show who he is, as he's been uh-huh. doing all through <laughs> his life. 
Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if maybe some of the key to that is that, you know, what he says about, you know, I've been speaking in the temples and the synagogues when he speaks to Caiaphas and Annas. Mm-hmm. And there's almost a kind of, guys, you've been around this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but Pilate has your, yeah. your questions are, you know, yeah. they're moot questions because you know. But Pilate yeah. hasn't, maybe. Although he should have, should really, shouldn't he? He was the governor. I mean, you, you think you'd really... I don't know where think he would... She'd have known what was going on with Jesus over the past three years. He'd been briefed by somebody. And maybe it was the middle of the night as well. Maybe he just can't be bothered. It's like Mm -hmm. bad Mm -hmm. timing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that says something for Jesus again, doesn't it? That he can point to all he's done in his life and say, look back at who I've always been. That's that's who I am now. And then Pilate's, again, we don't have Pilate's uh, wife's dream in Mm -hmm. this. Somebody said to me recently, I should be asking God before I go to sleep at night. Did I say this already, that, I should, that God that God would speak to me through my dreams? But I've not been brave enough to do it yet because my dreams are always so weird. But he does it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Reveals things. Mm-hmm. Maybe give it a try. Could that be your takeaway? <laughs> um, can we, can we, so just, just final point as we kind of round things off. Uh, Barabbas, so, so this mm. thing about the crowd wanting the release of Barabbas. Um, are, are they primed to shout that? How do they know? I mean, are is they this... Barabbas' supporters? Yeah. Where is this happening? This is happening this... in the courtyard outside Pilate's residence, isn't it? So is it public? Is, is there people yeah, gathered yeah. there listening yeah. to this conversation between Pilate and Jesus? They they, they seem aware, don't they, of what's mm. going on? It does. I mean, I, I, I read this in a, a couple of ways. One is, that, as you said, Fiona, I think that Possibly the priests have put them up to it. Mm-hmm. It it also testament to the the power of the mob. You know, we yes. as people we go running after the things that the powerful seem to sell to us. Mm-hmm. We we vote for the things that actually go against our own self interest because some charismatic powerful person has told us that that's yeah. that's what we want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an an element of that. the The place this takes me is a resource that you wrote, Jen Easter Code. We once did this with them. Um, school in in halfway and it just so happened for various reasons a lot of the kids um in this particular class had been bullied in other schools before they came to this school that we were in and we talked we enacted that scene and it was it was really visceral because we we asked one young person to be jesus and then the rest of the the group in the room were to shout at them and even though it was in a drama it, it was still not totally easy to disassociate yourself for it and the and the people who played jesus felt the the power of it but what was interesting was a lot of them said that's how it felt for me in my previous school I mean somebody I think once said I for five years I was treated like that you know imagine being like mm. what well, is just somebody in primary six eleven I think you know imagine for over half your life that's all you've known and yet to hear that Jesus had taken that place of being the one who was bullied wasn't was a moment of gospel for them yeah mm. yeah yeah. So I so I think that's probably a, a good point for us to land for today, unless anybody has anything else they want to say other than a takeaway and a gem. It's like a top night out, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> a top night out. <laughs> a takeaway and a gem. Um, yeah, what's your takeaway from this today? My takeaway is really good to be back with Jen. I love hearing all the Bolivian angle on things. And perhaps the takeaway is simply that unpacking what that word sovereignty means, that God has a hold of all this. So that's my takeaway. Yeah, I think I had two takeaways, but one of them was around God 
getting it, which Neil's taken, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think the... Oh, it's hard. There's, there's so much in it. But that, that thing about focusing on Jesus is the... And knowing him better is the mm-hmm. only way to avoid being Ananias and Caiaphas and not, you know, not becoming embroiled in nonsense religiosity. Mm-hmm. And if MD ever thinks I'm religious, I think I'll give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel challenged about not carrying a sword in my back pocket. Mm. Yeah, I know that sounds quite amusing, but generally, <laughs> about, um, yeah. you know, not having a plan B, I think. Yeah. As we go yeah. into this winter, <laughs> very practically speaking, am I really trusting in God? Yeah. To see Are you through? saying that because of the cost of living? Yeah, cost of living, just the general threat of nuclear war. Yeah. There's a mm-hmm. lot going on in the world. I mean, that sounds a bit blasé the way I just said it, but I, I think I think the the rising anxiety I sense around me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I want, and, and I mean that. I mean that around me, you know, physically, but but I think also, in, you know, as you engage with media and so on, you think, gosh, we're living in anxious times. Yeah, yeah, and the Peter response here is say, we must not go there. We must not go yes, there. Come back. Can, come how back. How can I help people? How can yeah. I sort this out? And whether that's my own finances or whether that's you know the the, the anxiety of all those around me in the in mm-hmm. my community, I can't sort it actually. So I need to trust God with it. Jen, do you have a gem? I've had the privilege in my life of knowing people from when they were born and now they're nearly 40, which means I'm very getting quite old, but it also means I must have been quite young when I got to know them. So it's a real privilege to know people all through their life like that. And my gem today is that it's really important when we uh, are friends with young people and children that we don't get stuck with the age they are, like, and and this is part of the heritage of splitting up age groups within the church. So I'm the person that works with the under fives and, or I'm the person who works with the older primary school or I work with young people. That's not what church is. Church is all of us being together. And um, so when you're talking to a five-year-old, you're not talking to a five-year-old, you're talking to Samantha. She's unlikely to be called Samantha probably, but um, whatever their name is, you're talking to them. And and if you grow with them, then you if you stay stick around, you've got the privilege of knowing them as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, as an adult, and that friendship goes right through the years. And it's a bit of a sort of nebulous gem, but it's really important to hold on to. And I think as adults, we often say things like, oh, you've grown so much, or oh, I used to know them when they were a child, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, we, we can be friends with people as, as they grow, even though we've been an adult and the whole time in the relationship as they grow up. And I, yeah, I just want people to hang on to that and uh, not, not bracket people into their age, but recognise them as individuals. Love that. Love that. Excellent. Uh, now, as ever, listeners, we do love to hear from you, so do get in touch with your comments and questions. You can email outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or you can contact us, of course, via social media. And I say it again, I say it every time, if you like what you hear, recommend us, as they do in Inverness, it would appear. Top marks for the Invernesians for that. Please do recommend us, as we've said before, to other people in your church or your community. And if you're so inclined, you can give us a rate or a review on your podcast app because that does something magic with the algorithm. Don't know what it is. Thank you both, Neil and Jen, for your contributions. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Next time we're in John 19 and the darkness closes in as we reach the crux of the story. Join us then. Mm-hmm.